Of the hour to you folks. Monday, J18. I know, so you've learned already. April is J. Well done by you. Today's market call, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, and in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by the great Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow and open exchange, Dan, because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. I will tell you, very interesting day on the back of what was a very interesting week. We have a lot to talk about. Put 30 minutes on the clock, Dan. It's up there, buddy. Yeah, you and I on Market Call on Thursday, we did not like how the day was progressing, especially after how the week had kind of moved along here. And, you know, we talked a lot about the earnings season and the setup into it and what we thought was probably going to be not particularly great guidance going forward, right? And we were going to say that's the most important sort of thing here. And we just didn't hear much by any of the corporates. And there were only a handful, even that Delta report guy that we talked about a little bit, it kind of seemed obvious talking about how the back half of the year was going to see some more demand. I think it was really, I think the lack of clarity by the banks that kind of really got things going a little bit. And then, you know, tech, is it going to save the day again? This this quarter guy, you tell me, buddy. But today's price action is not particularly great. No, and it's a lot of this tech uh, rally or lack thereof is to be predicated on rates, which we're going to drill down in a little while. But, you know, we talked, I think the graphic last week was Bankapalooza, I'm not yeah. sure. But yeah, we, we want to look that. at today's performances, some outperformances. Energy continues to be top of mind, Dan, and actually financials getting off the mat a bit. Talk to me about this, because there's some interesting things for me as well. Materials, again, stick out. Yeah, no, but I mean, listen, these are trades that you've been on and you've been steadfast about materials and energy. And I think, you know, when we think about the broader market, though, they just don't make up enough of the S&P 500, right? Like, and we, and we agree, but there's plenty of trading opportunities. And like, literally, if you buy them on every dip, you're making money right now. I do think what's interesting, you see popping up on a day like today are those banks that we just talked about. So we had Bank of America come out um, this morning and it's up three and a half percent. I think that's pretty important. I think the Citigroup, which was the worst acting bank into their results last week, actually traded higher on Thursday and has followed through today. Is that trying to put a little bit of a bottom? But again, going back to what percent of the major indices, they're just not enough to really do the job. So sentiment was really poor heading in. On the way out, not so bad here, man. But listen, we got to just look at, though, just these kind of high valuation tech names, because to me... That's kind of the story. That's what you want to keep an eye on. Not, again, that there's any big like market leaders in them, but the fact that they had those huge rallies off of their February and March lows, some 50 60% or so, and now are coming all the way back. I mean, talk to me about that. Look at the just devastation today. Is that because rates are higher a few ticks? I think that's exactly why. I think it's all contingent upon rates. Listen, You talked about these stocks last summer when they started to roll over. They had a meaningful bounce. A lot of these names rallied 25 to 50% off the lows. And the fact that they're now giving it up again, I think, is troubling. So the question was, is this based on rates? I think absolutely is. Again, nobody cared about valuation in all of these names when rates were at zero. When rates go to now almost 3%, folks, in the 10-year, valuation becomes concerned, rightly so. And again, it's got nothing to do with these companies. These are all great companies. I mean, you can make a very compelling case for every one of these as companies. 
as stocks, they all got ahead of themselves. And now they're just finding yeah. uh, levels that sort of make sense. The problem is, Dan, I don't think they've found those levels to the downside yet. Yeah, and I, and I suspect, and this is one of the reasons why we keep harping on this, is that when they go through a lot of these names and they make new lows from the March lows, I think you're going to see a lot of things follow suit. But you said it's really dependent on rates. One of the things that I think is kind of interesting, we are just talking about the banks and the way Bank America was acting in particular. Take a look at this chart, Guy. It was kind of interesting where it bounced off of today. It was trading a bit lower. It's actually had a nice little bounce. It is not out of the woods by any means. And I'm just curious to see what you think think maybe the bull case is and if we look at city and obviously that thing showed really poor relative performance that has a 10 percent move potentially up to a massive resistance level i don't see it getting through there so is the case for large money center banks right now where bank america says they don't have a lot of exposure let's say to eastern europe that sort of thing but we know that maybe the consumer here is weakening we know that a lot of loan activity is likely have peaked i'm just curious what's the bull case for large U.S. money centers? Is it that we had that yield curve inversion, now it's steepening, and if we get through some of these geopolitical things in the first half of the year, we might have a better second half, and then you want to load in on these things? The bull case is this yield curve continues to steepen. I mean, obviously, two tens went negative a couple weeks ago. Now they're probably the steepest levels we've seen in north of a month. I think that's part of it. Second part is, miraculously, China starts to reopen a little bit. Credit is not a concern which, by the way, right now it is, if we were to look at the HYG, either side of $80. Russia, Ukraine sort of is what it is. I think the markets figured that one out. But I think the real bull case is a steepening yield curve and a huge back half of the year in terms of consumer demand and those types of things. So that's the bull case. The other side of the bull case is you can make a pretty compelling case for a lot of these names on valuation. That's the bull case. The bear case is credit starts to deteriorate in the form of HYG, you know, this reopening trade that everybody's banking on is not as robust as we think, and the banks take another leg lower. I'll say this. I think you nailed it with Bank of America, and we'll go back. If we could toggle back, there's a bingo for you, Dan, to BAC. <laughs> you'll look, and you'll see we stopped right at that level of support, and we should be able to bounce here. I mean, this stock is about, I want to say, 27% off that recent high. That's a pretty significant move. Yeah, it is. All right. So, Guy, you know, every once in a while, you and I are known to tweet things here and there. The mm. Earlier I tweeted, I just thought this was kind of interesting. You know, that of all those kind of market expressions, you know, like, I love this one. Don't confuse brains with a bull market. You know, we've been kind of talking about that in and around, you know, the markets over the last couple of years. There's a lot of new entrants to the markets. And you and I, by no means, you know, mean to kind of give heat to anybody new to the market, interested in the markets, interested in trading, that sort of thing. But I think there was a lot of people flexing their internet muscles, as we saw a lot of those names that we were just talking about before, just skip higher over the last couple of years. And again, you know, I don't think it had much to do with fundamentals. But look at this. Look at these four names I have. So, so Schwab this morning, guy, their darts, right? Those average daily trades, they reported in the quarter just ended, we're down 22% year over year, and they missed on the profits. And when you look at that, and you see a 9% one day gap, guy, what does that say to you? And, and you know, we threw up the BlackRock chart in that tweet because that had a really bad week last week after their earnings. And then you have Coinbase making new lows, and you have Robinhood about to make new lows. When you see a company the size of Schwab that literally just engulfed their largest competitor, TD Ameritrade, down nearly 10% in one fell swoop on an earnings disappointment, what does it tell you, guys? It says you better not miss in this environment. It says when you miss on both EPS and revenue, you're going to get punished. And to your point, 
when those metrics, which everybody's relying upon, darts being one of them, misses and disappoints, the market's going to the market's going to punish you, and rightly so. Question is, at what point does this stock make sense on valuation? And I don't think we're there yet in this either, Dan. I think you could trade back to the summer of last summer's low. I want to say it was like 66 and a half, 67 before you find support. So I don't think this, in my opinion, I don't think it rectifies itself in one training day. Although I will say this, you're going to see a huge volume day in Charles Schwab. Yes, you will. It likely sees its 52-week lows, though, in the not-so-distant future. You just Why would you come in and buy this, to your point, with the trends the way they are? Even with this market volatility, I think when you have dozens and dozens of stocks acting the way that they have over the last year, maybe hundreds or so, the likelihood that people kind of have the cash to get in there and be speculative in a market that just doesn't have a great feel to it, it's very different, right? So that goes back to that bull market, everyone feeling like a genius a little bit. Guy, we spent a little time talking about some of those high valuation names that were the benefits, you know, beneficiaries during the pandemic. And I just mentioned that Coinbase making a new low. Again, that was a direct listing at $250. It went through $150, which was March low here. But the whole idea that some of these stocks that a lot of retail people own are going to make new lows here, sooner or later, it's got to kind of make its way into large cap names. And it was just interesting today when I'm looking at my screens and most areas are really red, but dude, look at the semiconductors and, and the SMH in particular. It's up a little bit. Some of the big names in there are acting okay, bouncing a little bit here. Curious your take because there's some names that have valuation support in there. Others do not, like an NVIDIA. And we know that this is going to be at the kind of nexus of the debate about supply chains and about the global economy reopening. Curious your take on semis here because they are, on a relative basis, don't act particularly well to some other pockets of mega cap tech. You're looking for opportunities. And listen, I mean, who comes on the shows with us on Mondays? What's that cat's name? Carter Braxtonworth. Oh, that's right. Carter Worth. Love him, by the way. The reason why I bring him up is because you look at this green line that you drew, this horizontal line. The first point of that, if you recall, I think it was a Friday that Carter talked about the huge opportunity on the long side in semis in the form of SMH or the Sox or whatever individual names you want to talk about. And that proved to be correct to the day. And they all rallied magnificently. Problem is... They basically rallied right back to the 200-day moving average, or excuse me, in this case, 150-day moving average, and failed. Now you have the 150 rolling over, going from upper, lower left to upper right, starting to round off. Leads me to believe, Dan, if we fail here, you have a significant downside. So I'm not just saying if it goes low, you know, if it stops going up, it's going to go lower type of thing. I'm saying that if you break this support, you probably have another 15 to 20% downside. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that this guy comes on our program market call on Mondays. I think he's waiting in the wings. He's probably ready to kind of give us his take on the semis. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. How are you? Here is this guy or that guy. Here's the guy. Hey, guy and 10. So at the end of the day, and this is always important when the charts are very similar, that BAC chart did break ever so slightly to a new low, but now it's ricocheting. And then you've got the semis right at the prior low. Do they hold or do they break? And sometimes after breaking, look at BAC, you quickly recover. But the point is, identifiable levels are important. How a stock, currency, or commodity acts at a key level is important. And in turn, when so many things look the same, you could do a direct overlay of the BAC chart with the SMH chart. There's also a lot of information and wisdom in that. You have a pretty interesting call, and I'm actually with you on this one. The outperformance in utilities has been 
puzzling to say the least, right? But, you know, utilities have had this huge rally. Obviously, rates have been going higher. Something's got to give here for you movie fans out there. And I think you're bringing to us in one chart that really illustrates this, Carter. Right. And before we look at the chart, let's just discuss, I mean, utilities in principle are rate sensitive. Everyone knows that. And in principle, if rates are going higher, utilities are less attractive for two reasons, because utilities are high yielding securities. And if the alternative from a government bond is rising, then the yield on a utility is less attractive. Two, utilities are big users of capital, right? Their balance sheets are heavy in debt. And so if their cost of capital is going up, that's another reason in principle utilities go down when rates are going up. And yet, and this is where the textbook is left behind and the real life matters, utilities are going straight up even as yields have been going up. So at this point, is it because they're defensive? I think so. Let's look at actually the the chart that guy you were referring to. I've got a ratio chart. And what this is simply is one thing divided by another. And you can do this with anything you do with Coke versus Pepsi. You can do with, you know, energy versus materials. And in this case, it's utilities relative to the TLT. And so it doesn't matter what the scale is. It's the angle of the line. When that yellow line is going down, it means the utilities are underperforming TLT. And when it's going up, it's the opposite. And what do we know? It's straight up. It's almost parabolic. So you can draw the lines this way on this first iteration. That's a head and shoulders bottom. Now, if you keep that same chart, there's another way to draw the lines. Look at the flat top and the textbook breakout. And you know, go back and forth. Let's toggle. The setup, the resolution, the setup, the breakout. The question is, just the angle of the line itself, is that too steep? It's almost so steep that it's going up and to the left. And remember, you can't do that. you got to go out to the right every day. So look at the longer-term chart and look how important this level is. Not only is it well-defined tops over the past two, three, four years, look at the all data and, and run that line all the way over to 2006. Incredible, meaning we have broken out. It's definitive. But the question is, is this a little hot? And I think here's the optics of it. We see the reciprocal move during COVID. To each action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is the reciprocal of what happened during COVID when this ratio plunged. And just as that was overdone, this is now overdone the other way. I think the message is, of course, you want to be buying TLT, which are oversold as people anticipate rates going higher and higher, and fade utilities, XLU. You know, it's funny, Carter, you know, I find this work really interesting to me because you just kind of laid it out. You said that it's kind of puzzling that the XLU utilities have had the breakout, this sort of parabolic move of late in a rising rate environment, right? And then you said, well, maybe they're deemed to be defensive. And I think one of the things why it's interesting that you plot this against the TLT, the 20-year treasury bond ETF, is that, you know, if we were to see a scenario, and guys mentioned this on many occasions, where the economy were to be put into a recession or were to weaken we might see a flight to quality in U.S. treasuries, right? So if they're buying the treasuries, then that means they're selling the yields. And that got me thinking, you know, I'm not nearly as good as you on the charts. It's just a fact, okay? You made an amazing career doing it. But I like to throw up some lines here and there, and I like to hear what you have to say about it. But I took the five-year or so, okay, of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, and we know that shouldn't line up exactly well with the 20-year U.S. Treasury bond ETF. But look 
look at these, look at this support and look at the resistance levels. It's kind of interesting, right? And so if you look at the white line, which is the TLT, it's been in a free fall from 140 over the last, I don't know, call it a couple months when we've seen the 10-year yield go from what, 1.6 to 2.8 or so. And if you're just going to look at that from that prior low back in 2018, maybe there's some downside to 112. That would mean we see a 10-year U.S. Treasury yield probably north of 3%, which was just the high in 2018. So then I say to myself, all right, I like to look at the options. You and I did a show together. You're still on it. They booted me a long time ago called Options Action on CNBC. And I say, how would I might express this view of lower yields near term with higher bond prices? And I would look at a TLT risk reversal, looking out to August expiration. So what do I want to do here? Today, when the TLT was about 120, you could look at the August expiration 110 put. That's about a $2.50 bid right now. You can sell one of those, take that $2.50 in, and then you look up and you look at the August 130 call. It would cost you about $2.50. So if you bought that, you'd be using the proceeds of the put sale to buy the call. Cost you nothing. What happens with a risk reversal is if the ETF were to move higher, close to that long call strike, the value of this risk reversal will increase. You'll make money. If it were to go the opposite way towards that short put strike, you'd lose money. And so on August expiration, if you had the TLT above 130, you'd have the gains between the strike of 130 and wherever it is above that. Or on the flip side, worst case scenarios, the ETF is 110 or below, and you're put 100 shares of the ETF per one contract of the put short. So I kind of like the range here because I'm giving myself a really wide room for error in the near term. And again, I have no idea where this is going. But if you're okay being put the ETF of the TLT down at 110 on August expiration, which is 10 bucks from here. This trade idea makes a lot of sense, especially if you thought there was a potential for it to go the other way and ricochet back. Guy, you used to come on the OA every once in a while and comment on Carter's charts and my options trades. What do you think here, buddy? I think I was like the fifth most viewed person on OA over the years. I love this. The reason why I love it is because the reasons you just outlined, if the market, the broader market, would have sell off in a precipitous way, there's going to be this flight to quality in the form of people buying TLT. In other words, TLT going higher, rates going lower. That trade will work under those circumstances. The flip side is if rates continue to go higher and you put the TLT at 110, you're getting it put this right at levels of support. So this is one of those things where if you're right, right off the bat, you're going to know. And if you're not, I think you're okay being long the TLT at that level. So I like this trade a lot. By the way, I'm with you on this one. I think Carter would agree. Although I do think rates will continue to grind, there are going to be periods of time where you see tremendous reversals. We saw one a couple of weeks ago when yields went about 20 basis points lower in the course of two days. I think we're setting up for something like that now. Yeah. I wanted to ask Carter this because, you know, we talked about that SMH call, Carter, that you made back in March, and we had that huge rally here, right? And I think that, you know, we threw the 150-day moving average up there on that chart where Guy mentioned where it got through there briefly, gapped a little higher that next day, and then reversed and round-tripped the entire move. What do you usually look for when you're making like a tactical trading call off of a technical level? Is there a certain percentage gain? Are you looking for it to get back to some either resistance level or support level? I'm just curious, like, how do we think about it? You do a great job. You always update those sorts of tactical trading calls. And you did say to take profits when it got near that resistance. I'm just curious, like with this TLT here, how would you think about it as a percentage from the point in which you're identifying a level to trade off of? 
Right. So there, there's no fixed rule, right? We know that that we all wish, right? There was some X number of days or X percent. So each one is a bit different. And yet there are general rules in anything that's oversold, whether it was semis at the time or TLT here, if and as you get the bounce that you're anticipating, you wouldn't put the trade on unless you're anticipating a bounce, you're identifying levels above, typically where a moving average comes into play or some other reference point where you think, hey, this ricochet is getting a little overdone. Or some people do it just as a sheer percentage. It's not really right to trade percentage because then you're trading your P&L. And that's not what charting is, right? You can trade your P&L, but it's really about picking levels, just as one's picking the level now in BAC. Why are we saying it might bounce? Well, you yeah. guys are saying it might bounce because it's at a level. So from there, you should also then pick your exit points from a level and not so much from PML. At least you brought with you a bevy. I don't know how to spell that. I think there's one V. It might be two. It's one of those like savvy, one of those words, but a bevy of charts. And this is gone predicated on the note you put out. By the way, we're going to ask you later, so be prepared where our viewers can get that great note. But please walk us through the Carter Braxton Worth note. So, yes, I had some fun with this. You know, people often, some people make fun of charts. And they say, what if I flipped it upside down? What do you think now? You know, when they're being a little bit flippant or, or whatever the word might be. Let's do just that. And that was the point of today's exercise. And so if you look at the first chart, what we have here is I left the stock off. It's a stock, but I've inverted it. So that that y-axis, instead of going from low to high, is going from high to low. Now, go to the next chart. Next chart is the actual. So that's Eaton. This is the actual stock. Look at the price, 140. Now, go back to the inverted chart. If you saw this chart, there it is, 140, and you don't know what it was. Is that a commodity? Is that gold bottoming? Is that is that corn coming off of a low? Is that a, is a certain beaten up industrial? You'd say, wow, that's bottoming. I like that. Well, guess what's happening? The real chart is, go to the real chart, Eaton. It's rolling over. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go more quickly. Look at stock B. What's this one? That's bottoming from what I can see. I think that looks so beautiful. Scalloping out, rounding bottom, bearish to bullish reversal. What is it? Well, it's a healthcare stock. I mean, the point is, you know, people don't want to believe things are going down, but when you flip it around and let's go back to, you say, wow, that's bottoming. You sure want to buy and find them when they're bottoming, when they're top of that guy, I think it probably stops here. Let's do a few more. So we've just did an industrial. Now this is another one. What's this one? Flip it around. What is this? This is Microsoft. No Let's go back way. and forth. One, two, one, two. <laughs> Microsoft. I mean, all I've done is inverted. I've literally turned the charts upside down. And so I have the same for, um, look at the next one. It's a big name. Guess what it is? You can see it here. It's Google. Carter, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, here? please. All right. Let's talk about Microsoft for a second. I think this is really important if we can go back to that. Okay. So Microsoft last year showed tremendous relative strength. Okay. Like throughout the year to its mega cap peers. I think it, at no point did it have a greater than five or 6% like peak to trough decline when some of its other names were down like 15 or something, you know, earlier in the year. This stock now is actually leading to the downside of all of those names. It's down 16% on the year. Apple's only down 6.5%. Google's down 11%. Amazon's down 8%. So I'm just curious, is this the one to watch in the MAGA complex, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, the Amazon? Could this lead to the downside here? Well, it's certainly underperforming. It's sort of peers, if you can even use that word, but the mega, mega cap household brand names that we've come to know. Google and, and Amazon, Apple, and so forth. And here's the thing, and that's the point about flipping it around. 
if we looked at them, we didn't know what it was. Let's go to the bottoming out information. Would we say we got to short that thing? This thing's been going down for two, three years and starting to stabilize and curl up. Let's short this. No way. Well, for the actual chart itself, look at Microsoft. There's no other interpretation than to say it's rolled over. It's acting poorly. Its relative strength is worse than others of its type, super cap marquee tech names. What's the case for being wrong? And if one can't make that case, the answer is let's trim our longs or flip it around and get short. The Microsoft reports on April 26th. And I think what you're showing here visually is people are predisposed to want to be bullish. So when you see it the other way, toggle back, please, for Microsoft. And you look at this and say, wait a second, that's a great formation. You have the 200-day moving, maybe in this case, the 150-day moving average, bottoming out, starting to turn to the upside. This looks like a bottoming formation. This chart looks great. Then you realize it's upside down. You're like, wait a second. I can't sell Microsoft here. It's Microsoft. It's fascinating what your mind will do to you, Carter. Please continue. You brought some more. Yeah, we got a few more. The next one, take a look. So this is something that's bottoming, flipping around. What is it? It's Google. I mean, it looks identical to Microsoft. That's the thing. And then one more, just for fun. This is bearish to bullish reversal. I mean, well-defined. Look at overshoots, checks back to 150 Guess what it is? It's Dell. Not I, crazy. to look I awfully hope, the same. Know, and then finally, just to, since we're on this. Does this work for the S&P, Carter? I bet you it yeah. doesn't work for the S&P. Wait, wait, hold on. Before we get to the S&P, this is really important, Guy, because you just mentioned Microsoft and when they're going to report, okay? Can we go back to the Google, the alphabet chart here? And Carter, I know that you don't care a whole heck of a lot about fundamentals. But my question to uh-huh. you, as we're going to enter into earnings season, is this a precursor? Because look at that day in January where the stock made that huge gap, okay? It made a new intraday all-time high and then reversed. Do you remember that? And filled in the entire gap over the next couple of weeks. And it went much lower. Now, we had that rally off the March lows. Now, you look at this thing and there's four lows in that little cluster, right? From January, February, and March. Is this a precursor for... If there's bad guidance, this thing is going through and it feels like it's probably got, I don't know, is it going to 2100? So just as we try to identify all of us, anyone, stocks that are likely to break out, we're trying to find well-defined levels. In this case, well-defined minor lows. They're not intermediate. They're not over several months. They're over uh, several weeks, December to March, but they're very well-defined, centered on the 2500 level. If those were tops, Let's play for the breakout. Well, it's the opposite. The presumption is this undercuts and breaks to new lows. And 2100, while that might be aggressive, certainly 24, 23, 22, meaning if one's bullish on this or is holding it, any weakness from here is very, very. Well, yeah, to, to your point, 2100 seems a bit aggressive. 2500 is that support. And then 2200 is the May 2021 low. But sorry, guy, I cut you off. I was just fascinated by just that cluster of lows over the last few months in Google. And I know that this is one that when you look at those major names, a lot of investors always point to the relative cheapness versus Microsoft or Apple or Amazon. And that's why I think it's just really setting up for for an interesting move after earnings. And again, I'm no, I'm with you. And I'm so happy that Carter did this because again, we're all predisposed to want to be bullish. So when you see the inverse, these charts look so great. But by definition, if they look great when they're reversed, they look equally miserable 
when they actually put the right way around. It's fascinating. I mentioned, Carter, I know you did bring the S&P, so let's take a look at that because I think people are going to be shocked at how this looks. Now, that right, looks so, like a great-looking chart. And, and we, what, if someone, if your best friend called you that, and your broker, and your <laughs> spouse, and said, look at this, you'd be like, wow, that is the definition of a rounding bottom, what I call a bearish to bullish reversal. But either way, you'd say, let's short that? No chance. 99 out of 100 people would say, let's take a shot on the long side. Well, guess what it is? Flipping around, it is the S&P. See, I knew you brought that. Now, Carter, tell our audience where they can get your work on an, on a nearly daily basis, if not a daily basis. Yes. Well, so we, we have a subscription service that launches this week, and it'll be at worthcharting.com. Come find us. I, I will think, find you. I, I, guy, I know you think it's worth charting here, but when you look at, I mean, just real quick, because I know we got to get out of here in a second. So- you know, the S&P 500, I mean, it got back to those levels. Now it's back to your 150-day moving average, Carter. I mean, do you think that the high probability is that we're going to retest those March lows? And we know that that February was an intraday low, that March didn't make a new low here. But are we going to see 4,100 again in the next few weeks, in your opinion? Right. So someone asked me that, a client, and I said, I think these are the odds. And anyone can make them up. But my hunch was 65% odds were going lower 25% odds we back and fill and grind. And this is this mindless, numbless, how do you cope with this sideways? And then 10% somehow that we managed to go up. I want to get to a viewer question real quick. I know we're out of time. Jonathan Montgomery, not Jordan, who pitches for the Yankees. How do you reconcile that momentum and fundamentals usually move inversely when a stock goes down, its valuation improves, but it's going down. So its technicals are probably getting worse. I'll say this. Sometimes when a stock goes down, actually the fundamentals don't improve and the stock gets more expensive. Conversely, we've seen times when Google rallies 10 or 15 percent off earnings and the stock is actually cheaper than it was prior to earnings. I don't think you can blanket statement that, but that's me. Thank you for your question. Jonathan, we got a 5,000 people because it's 131 and I try to be a person of my word. I've taken an extra 90 seconds of your time. That's it. That's today's market call. I know I enjoyed it. My Johnny Cash outfit notwithstanding, I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and Open Exchange. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 o'clock, April. I think it's 19th tomorrow. Go figure. Later. 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 